Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out CF Capital. CF Capital is the premier boutique real estate investment firm in the Midwest and Southeast region of the United States. We are a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help passive investors maximize returns on high value multifamily communities. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people. We are in the business of elevating communities and raising the bar for everyone within our ecosystem. CF Capital is a real estate investment firm focused on the acquisition and operation of multifamily assets. We confidently deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow, and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. By investing alongside our team, investors can preserve and grow their wealth without having to deal with tenants, termites, or toilets. Investors come and stay for the outsized returns we create in our deals while appreciating the ancillary opportunity to make a bigger impact that only CF Capital can provide. If you're an investor and want to invest with us, here's how. Learn more about CF Capital at cfcapllc.com or by simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. We will see you on the inside of this powerful community. So let's elevate communities together. Insurance has just gotten crazy in Florida and it's it's because of our, obviously, our weather situation. But the other thing, too, is that um, 70, I think it was 76% of all lawsuits against insurance companies uh, come from the state of Florida. So it's something that uh, we have tons of attorneys down here, too many attorneys, and uh, they're chasing too little dollars. So everybody and their mother gets sued uh, insurance companies for anything. Um, common maintenance is now you sue it and they have to repair it or some kind of thing happens. So that's the big thing that we have down here that hopefully gets fixed. But when you're underwriting for that, you have to really shoot high and you're going to lose a lot of deals. It's like just saying that um, if you're you know, somebody's sharpening their pencil and saying rents can go up 25%, you say they go up eight, you know, uh, so who's going to have a more aggressive author? You know what I mean? Who's going to get that deal? But in some situations, they might go for a uh, a buyer that doesn't have the highest offer, but has a that knows that they can close. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation. Welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Charles Carrillo today. You're going to learn about the journey of learning hands-on in the trenches in real estate to scaling exponentially, what that looks like in terms of components of pivoting, navigating market cycles over the past 17 years, how you can apply that in your own business as an investor, whether you're passive, active, and or both, you know, there's a lot to be learned from today's discussion. You're also going to learn about how limiting beliefs could be perhaps holding you back, how to break through that, and to learn the difference between what is limiting you and what is serving you in terms of, well, maybe I'm, I have some dialogue that's happening internally that's causing me to not move in a certain direction that could actually be serving me. There's also times where that dialogue could be holding you back from living this life that you're destined for. So let's learn the difference today. You are going to learn those things. I wanna excite you. I wanna get excited with you because Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? 
it is time. Let's raise the bar today. I am super excited to raise that bar with you with Charles Carrillo. And today's conversation is tremendously valuable. So I want to go ahead and ask you to please pay it forward because that's the fee for listening today is to share this episode with one person. All you have to do is grab that link through the podcast app and share it. That's all you have to do. One person. If you've done that in the past, I want to thank you. If this is your first time listening, perhaps you are a result of that. We're asking you to do the same. The only way that we can continue to grow is if we receive your recommendation to pay it forward to someone else. So I just want to thank you for that. I want to give you the opportunity to go ahead and do that right now. Also, if you have not done so already, give us a rating, a review, and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcasts and wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. We're going to continue to bring tremendous value. And, and let me just tell you, we have some very, very, very exciting things on the horizon for this podcast. So I want to encourage you to buckle up, but I also want to encourage you to be ready to be transformed as you engage in these conversations, as you jot down distinctions, as you jot down action steps, as you discuss these conversations, I want you to be open to a transformation. And that's what this is all about. So I just want to thank you so much for listening. And I also want to dive in and introduce you to Charles Carrillo, who is the managing partner of Harborside Partners, a real estate syndication firm, and has been actively investing in multifamily and commercial real estate since 2006. At that, since that time, he has invested in over $200 million worth of investment real estate. Charles is also the host of the Global Investors Podcast, where he interviews professionals about investing in U.S. real estate. And uh, I was blessed and grateful to be a guest on that podcast. So we will put a link in the show notes as to where you can find the Global Investors Podcast. And without further ado, buckle up and enjoy this outstanding conversation with Charles Carrillo. Charles Carrillo, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Tyler? I'm great. It's great to be back with you. I was, uh, you know, blessed to be able to be on your podcast, the Global Investors Podcast, and we'll invite the listeners to go check that out. But it's great to have you now on Elevate Podcast because I know you bring a lot to the table. And I want to introduce you to Elevate Nation. So why don't we start with you talking a little bit about your upbringing and your backstory? Yeah, perfect. So I grew up in a, my dad was a real estate investor. He bought his first multifamily property, a six unit in 1984. Um, and he self managed all of his properties. And I bought my first multifamily in 2006 after graduating college. So my dad's properties were, let's just be nice. I mean, C minus properties. Um, some of them were even, I mean, it was pretty bad. It was D's and C's and it was terrible. <laughs> I, I just like, I disliked the whole thing when I was like dealing with it. Uh, well, you know, just as a kid, just going to those properties and it was like a twice weekly event. You know what I mean? And I always think real quick, I always think it's funny when people describe a property as C minus because I can only see, <laughs> I, I already know what that means. It's like, you're kind of being nice. It's like more of a D yeah. probably. Yeah. yeah, that's my dad. It was nice. It was just like tons of stuff. I mean, all the different experiences from, I mean, there was times when we showed up to the property and they had like DEA, like six vehicles going to go into on one a unit found heroin needles in, in the, uh, in like the hallways before. I've and been we, there. Uh, I dad, like we had to go to a police station one time. I had to look through like the books of photos, um, all that stuff. I like, <laughs> see if he knew someone. It was just like, it was, it was not something I was used to. And this is probably these properties. I'm from Connecticut and this is from a small town. I live in a small town. These are probably 25 minutes away in the lake, uh, a city where my dad had owned these properties and it was night and day from where I grew up. So it was very interesting. And then, I was, I never thought I wanted to be a real estate investor. And then I think like um, high school, I kind of realized all the benefits with it. 
And my dad started buying better properties at that point too. And it was something that uh, when I was buying properties, my brother and I, my dad always just stressed to be buying better properties. And, um, you know, like you said, C minus, maybe D, but it's really just like, you're really focusing on uh, C plus and above kind of stuff. My dad was like, and I found out cause you, I bought some that were C and you're like, oh, it didn't work as well as like a block away. And it was like a C plus type property. And that makes a huge difference with keeping renters. You know what I mean? And ease of renting and keeping renters for many years. I mean, I sold that portfolio of stuff I had in Connecticut last year and um, I had one one tenant that was there for 12 years that I actually rented to when I was self-managing. So I self-managed my property six years, 2006 to 2012. I moved down to Florida. I third-party managed it for 10 years on that property uh, while I was living in Florida. And once in Florida, really start focusing on larger properties and then getting involved with syndications uh, in 2017, 2018 timeframe. Time it's interesting to hear from you with that background with your dad investing since 84, starting with a six unit and some tough, challenging properties and you seeing that and saying, man, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't know what my dad's doing. This is insane. He's flipping yeah. through, you know, police books and all this kind of stuff to identify people. That's insane. Heroin needles, by the way, I've been there. I mean, it's yeah. it's not a great place to be in when you, you start to see that stuff in, in challenging properties. But perhaps it's a stepping stone to get to where you want to be. So what was it in, in high school that really caused you to say, you know what, maybe there is something there. I mean, were you, did you become more financially literate at that time? You started to think about the benefits? Yeah, I, uh, I, I just, I think one time we, uh, I, I read my first real estate book, like between middle school and high school, and it was um, Trump Art of the Deal, his first book, okay. which was pretty, it was pretty darn good. If you don't want to go to real estate after reading that book back from, back from the 80s, then you don't, you'll never be a real estate investor. But it was uh, I started like just being more involved with my dad and my dad started bringing me to like involving him more in the business, myself and his business, where we did everything from walk properties that he was looking at buying, uh, walk properties that he was selling um, and handling, you know, rent collection. You know, I was with him doing rent collection on stuff because he had superintendents that had collected rent, but there's always tenants that didn't pay them at that point. And he'd be there and he, we would walk literally apartment to apartment with the old carbon five, like carbon paper, um, you know, the, the rental books, you know what I mean? Spiral. And he would sit at every kitchen table, write receipts, talk to people. It was completely different from people today. They're like, Oh, well just somebody, we have an online account and we debit their account or something. Right. Like that. It was very personal, re, you know, getting $300 in cash from different apartments. Um, and then it was a very hands-on business. And I kind of realized how you deal with tenants and then going to everything from eviction court, to, I mean, there was everything dealing with contractors, all the, the fun stuff that one has to do when they're self-managing. And um, he had, he had a good setup with it. Like anybody that's owning those type of properties, you really don't have a property management. There's not really a third party property management for D class properties or C minus properties. It's, it's really just um, you have to do it yourself because property managers are very class specific and finding a good C class one is very difficult. B and A, it's very simple. You know what I mean? You've got good credit tenants. You've got a good property. It's small problems. You can ask for a lot of documentation when you're when you're when renting to them, and people really abide by the lease. When you start getting into lower class properties, that's when every every time there's you know uh, rents due, it's it you know a lot of the units become a negotiation <laughs> yeah. of when you're getting it, what you're getting it, and it's not just like it's you know you'll have some uh, you know when I left. When I left Connecticut and I was doing my own rent management, uh, 
it was it was pretty straightforward. I had really good tenants, and I would collect every month uh, without any type of issue. But it was time consuming. You know, what I mean, a lot of tenants want paying cash, a lot, and you know, getting a third party management was great because it was able to, hey, this is this is we're not the owner anymore. This is how we do it. You have to send this money order in here. You have to drop it off. All this kind of stuff, and not taking cash anymore. And that was a whole change for myself by freeing up that extra time every month uh, from. You know, dealing with calls here and there, uh, dealing with opening doors for handyman, stuff like that. And so it's a night and day process if anybody wants to self-manage. Self-managing is great to learn the business, mm-hmm. but you don't have to do it for six years. I totally agree. And I, I started, you know, in that same vein where it's, you know, the first deal was like eight units and it was like, all right, hands on. And I never knew that people would negotiate when they're going to pay, how much they're going to pay and all this kind of stuff. It was totally foreign to me. But when you start to realize the different classes of investments in, you know, the functions of generating cash flow and really making it happen, because what you see on paper and what you read in the yeah. book can be different than what you learn in reality. And as you operate a portfolio on perhaps maybe a scattered scale where maybe you've got a duplex here and you've got a, a quadplex there, maybe you've got a few houses and they're, you know, in different neighborhoods and things like that, you learn that it's not super scalable while you can learn a lot by kind of just working the business and really functioning within all of those things. And that can be helpful for you as you ascend the ladder as you send sort of the the different components of being an investor you know thinking about that i mean the difference from then to running a business right because i think that's a big difference between a lot of business owners business tacticians and successful investors and business owners is that a lot of times business owners and i think that this is 90 percent of the reason why 90 percent of businesses in america fail is because people try to do everything and while it's great to learn but if you continue to do everything, first of all, you're going to get burned out. You're not doing half of those things nearly as well as you could or as well as someone else could to support you. But if you don't have the scale and the the, the capacity to scale, it's hard to bring in people to really function and, you know, collect rent and pay bills and make sure that utilities are set up and switched and, you know, maintenance is taken care of and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it's, it's the same thing as that it's important to understand how everything works. So I'm very hesitant, like not invest. I passively invest in a lot of deals now and syndications as well as doing our own deals. And it's something that I don't invest with people that haven't actually self-managed properties before, Mm. because if you're told something, you know, it's, it's like, if you're, if you have your property management telling you something, I mean, how do you know exactly what is happening there? When someone tells me, oh, we're having, we have a part, you know, we have an apartment being changed over. And if you talk to someone that's never managed properties, like, oh, that can be done like 24 hours. No, it can't. I mean, you have right. bring crews in. They have to be, it's the people that are painting, aren't cleaning. Um, you know, it's got to be marketed. It's a whole process. It takes a month, you know, in, in most situations. So it's like knowing those type of ins and outs of how it works. And then also on your tenant base too. I mean, when you're buying properties, I found it even more important when they do a like lease audit, when you see who's in the property when you're buying it, then knowing that when you buy it, what you thought during due diligence is going to be off. And, you know, as you keep on doing this, no matter how good you are, because you, you I mean, you're going to keep, you're not going to buy deals if you are, if you like have to knock on everybody's door beforehand, even if they would even let you do that and verify people, it's something you find out afterwards, but that you have an idea of what you're going into, then that helps you make your performa and helps you tell your investors like, listen, we can't give any distributions for the first nine months or whatever it is, because we have some issues there that we have to, you know, sort through. Um, but you know that going in and your investors know that it's much different than, oh, we're going to start the first quarter and, 
it looks like everything's great over there. Well, that's just someone that doesn't know exactly what they're doing, or they have a great property that they're buying and they're paying top price for because it's not a value add, which is obviously what we focus on because it makes the most for our investors. Yeah, to your point, I think one of the central components to success in real estate investments is anticipation. And you've got to be able to predict the future and project into the future what is realistically going to occur. And of course, you want to be conservative, you want to be aggressive, and you really want to execute on a business plan to under promise and over deliver. But if you've never gotten your hands dirty and realized some of the particulars and some of the margin for error that you truly need in all aspects of the business, then it's very challenging to accurately anticipate and project into the future. So I couldn't agree more. No, it's, it's a very important part of the business. And so as you, you graduated college and you said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. So you started buying smaller properties and collecting some properties, kind of like what we're talking about, self-management managing. And then you, you mentioned that you just sold some of that portfolio. Yeah. So I started buying about uh, where I went to college in Connecticut. It was this probably like a mile and a half down the road. And it was the same town that my, my father had owned properties and he owned a few at this point. Uh, he had sold a lot prior to this, but um, I started buying them and I bought a three family, which will be called now house hacking, but it wasn't, we didn't have fancy names like that back then. And, um, and then like, I bought another three family, like literally a block and a half away. Um, the one thing I did, which I didn't really know I was doing it, but I did it was I bought properties really close to each other and it made it easier to sell them. It made it e much easier to manage it. And it made it much easier to find third-party management because now it's like, okay, this is where this guy, you know, this basement here, right. Is where he keeps all of his storage place, blah, blah, blah. So when I had handymen, that were working for me directly or working for our property manager at that time, um, you know, you can go and access that. You know what I mean? Everything's there. It's very, it's very simple. It's very difficult when you start, like you were saying, you know, drive 45 minutes to a duplex and then you drive over here. Oh, it's a great deal. Right. But it's not, like you said, it's not scalable. Um, and the scalability is something that you kind of need to have the foundation for if you're, if you're going to do that by yourself. And there's, you know, you can definitely do it. The problem is that when you're doing it on a smaller scale, you really need to buy a lot of units. Not like thousands of units, but if you can get to 40, 50 units close by to each other, you know, within a couple mile radius or something, that's when you can you can hire a full-time handyman person, which is really your big thing. Because a lot of the other rent collection can be done online. A lot of that can be automated on that end. But if you it's really getting to the full-time handyman piece of the whole puzzle, because that's going to take care of a lot of issues. And you're going to decrease your hassles because you have one person that now you know is going to go out there that you trust, has all your keys, doing all that stuff. And then you you just really take that off your off your plate. You know what I mean? So, um, but getting to that is very difficult. That's why most people like myself, I didn't, I didn't have that many units. So it was difficult at that point. I found good management through referral and um, I was able to kind of run the whole portfolio. But it's it's definitely a difficult route if you want to do everything yourself which is why we partner and do our own stuff now with, with other partners. Yeah, I almost look at those first few deals as really, truly the learning experience. That's where the most value is. But to your point, if you want to continue on that path, if, that, if, if your goals align with that trajectory, then there's certainly some strategies that you can employ to be able to you know, design a system and design a process that can handle that type of scattered site along, you know, considering the geography. But now as you've grown, I mean, it's crazy to, I'm sure you have thought about this, but man, we're talking about 17 years into the future yeah. now at this point. I mean, 2023 from 2006, I mean, your strategy has certainly evolved tremendously. So, so walk me through the evolution there, I mean, from, you know, starting to collect some scattered sites, smaller properties to scaling to a larger degree. 
Yeah, I think there's like a normal progression of real estate investors. And it sounds like you had this as well, Tyler, where you're starting off with um, those C-class properties look so great on paper, right? And uh, and those brokers are so convincing. Um, and then you <laughs> you you operate them. And C is not that bad. But when you start getting into D, that's what people are like, oh, this is, I'm looking at buying my first rental property in D. I'm like, don't, like, don't even, don't do it. You'll, it's just not going to work for what you're doing. And um, it takes a real, it takes a unique investor with a unique set up to handle D-class properties. But I feel that most investors, it's a progression where they start with properties C or D, and then they progress into like the B-class properties because the B-class properties I feel are the best. And that's really what we're focusing on uh, our group for the last couple of years on acquiring and um, selling our last C-class property right now. And the reason for that is you get the mix of good credit tenants. So tenants that actually have credit, they have income that's at the same job for the last three months. Um, you know, these are people that are going to be around that possibly want to buy. Uh, they have car payments and they possibly want to buy a house in the future. So they're going to pay their bills on time. And, um, and you know, for other times when they're not, you can you can actually work out some deal that they're going to, you know, keep keep on track with. And then it's, um, but it's not as much as A-class properties. And um, so you're going to have most people that are going to go through a B-class property at some point during their life. If they're in an A-class property and someone's hours are cut back in that household, they might go to a B. When times are good, a C goes into a B. But the B is the place where it's you can stay for many years. You're going to have people that are there. And the whole goal with multifamily is to keep people in their properties for 20 four plus months, because then you can cut down dramatically on repairs and maintenance, you know, make ready for the next person coming through. And, um, you know, it allows you to really build a tenant base that when you go to sell it or go to refinance it, you can show people these leases and be like, you know, this is, it's just, we just didn't load this up last week and just bring it to you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a seasoned property with good tenants that have been there. When did you first bring in partners with you? Because it sounds like you started with your own capital and maybe, maybe, maybe you didn't. But yeah. when did you start bringing on partners? So I bought properties initially, uh, some by myself and uh, one with my brother and, and then with my brother, he'd be my only partner I had. And so that's how we, we really started when we were up north. And um, when we started being partners, the first one we did was really with a syndication. And that was uh, 2018. So okay. when we did our own syndication. So with that being said, that was something that um, it just, we, we find everything ourselves. I had, I had another online business that I was running at that time. And I was, you know, that was my goal was just to buy properties, build my own portfolio. Um, I learned about syndication initially in 2008 and I wanted nothing to do with it. I just didn't like the idea of raising money for properties. Um, you know, I just, I didn't want to deal with any of that. It was much easier to buy properties um, and uh, buy properties, manage them the way you want and uh, get them up and running. And, you know, it's it just makes it a lot easier. And then when you add syndication and you have a whole other part of the business, which is great um, because now you can scale and now you can work with investors who would beforehand not be able to purchase those properties because they just don't want to. Um, but it now allows you to kind of open up what your passion is of investing in real estate and cash flow and all the good things that we love about real estate with other people. Elevate Nation, you know you can't manage what you don't measure. So when it comes to marketing and sales, how can you be sure your decisions are the right ones? 
I've got the answer for you. Sharp Wilkinson. Sharp Wilkinson is a unique agency that specializes in developing data-driven marketing and sales strategies for clients. I've been working with Sharp Wilkinson for a while now, and I can personally attest to the way that they immerse themselves in my organization and maintain a hyper-responsive orientation. Best of all, they use data to inform their strategies and drive real tangible growth. And every company needs continuing growth, right? If you think your organization could benefit from data-driven marketing and sales, growth starts at Sharp Wilkinson. Visit sharpwilkinson.com to take the first step on your journey. Tell them Tyler sent you. Um, but initially, I didn't have any par uh, partners outside of my business. And my dad never invested into any of our properties initially. It was just my brother and I. And um, and then we syndication was the first time really taking money on the equity side from people. You take, you know, you take debt from people. Um, other we had some private investors that you would use for doing flips. We did our um stabilizing properties, you know, small multifamilies before getting refinanced, but nothing like a real equity partner until we start syndications. Now, looking back, since that was 2008, you were like, I'm not doing that. Then to 2018, you were like, okay, <laughs> now let's let's move in that direction. The 10-year gap, I mean, is there anything that you would have told your 2008 self that, hey, you're, you're missing the boat here, you're missing the opportunity in this direction or in this vantage point? I mean, is there anything that you learned from, you know, actually diving into the syndication path? Uh, so I was, you know, we had reached out and we were planning on doing flipping with uh, with private money and finding investors uh, up north around like 2010, 2011. And we never, never really moved forward with that. And what I should have been doing is focusing more on multifamily. But it was a whole different ballgame when I bought properties in like 2009, even end of 2008. I mean, everything was melting down. I mean, no one, I, I remember I... um. I bought a property in 2009. At the end of 2009, I literally paid like um, 28 cents on the dollar what it sold in 2007 for. I paid cash for it. And um, I renovated the whole thing in three months. It was a five-unit mixed use. So it had like a little office downstairs, but 95% of the square footage was residential above. And I literally brought that to a bank. And a bank would only offer me, if I when I was going to refinance, the whole thing was rented out, right? And the bank was going to offer me like uh, 25% of, I, they would only loan me, loan to value 25% of what I had paid on the property. So it was like, you know, and that's not counting all the work, you know what I mean? So they were literally giving me like a 10% loan to value on the property. So it's great to say you go back and you buy more property during that time. It was very difficult. If you didn't have cash, if you had cash in hand, you could do anything you wanted, you know what I mean? And even lenders, you're like, oh, we'll go to lenders. There was no bridge lenders, right? You had some hard money lenders, but they're like, oh, we'll, we'll lend like half of what the assessed value says on the car. I mean, it was like, it was like, you know, 30% loan of value. Like this is like, you had to have cash. If you had cash, you were, you're golden, but getting cash, if it wasn't your own, it's very difficult. You know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. In parts of places like that, because just as we've seen over the last year, I mean, raising money in 2021, much easier than raising money in 2022 or 2023. Sure. Um, and I understand people, but it's also, hey, if there's a deal, there's a deal. And uh, if it's not, the, everybody wants to buy at the bottom, but most people miss it, you know? So, um, and I imagine you have these conversations too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the most interesting uh, components that, that we see, you know, from a, an investor psychology perspective is that when the deals are you know, overpriced and irrational exuberance is abundant. You know, the capital is plentiful. It's everywhere. It's ready to go. And when deals start to get very attractive because of some distress and because of some, you know, perhaps fear in the marketplace, the capital is also scared. And it's almost like you need the opposite. So, um, you know, it, it's challenging. It'd be challenging to raise capital when the deals are much more attractive 
because of some dislocation. Um, and the opposite is true. So, you know, I want to talk about the components of navigating successfully navigating market cycles because you've been around. I mean, you've been around the block for 17 years. So, you know, I do want to talk about, you know, strategy today and some things that you've been working on, of course, as well. But let's talk about that navigating market cycles because, you know, we're in one right now, right? We're, we're in the changing. The tide has changed. It is continuing to change. And by the way, it's always changing. But for you, I mean, what are some of the components that you found to be critical in terms of navigating market cycles successfully, whether we're in recession, expansion, contraction, you name it. Keeping your occupancy as high as possible and your collections as high. And, um, you know, maybe if you have a business plan that's a little aggressive or you, you, where you're, when I say an aggressive, where we used to years back, we'd put $5,000 into a unit, raise rents to 250. And that's important to do. And we're still doing that on some of our properties, but it's at a much lower number per month. Where before we were doing, you know, we have a property that's like 160 units in, outside of Atlanta, and we were doing like five per year, you know, or five per month. Now we're doing somewhere around one to two. And it's really keeping that occupancy. We have occupancy over 98% there. So it's something that keeping that high during all these times, um, you're, you're not going to get aggressive with it. And you're going to, you can continue your business plan, but kind of maybe we would probably pull it back a little bit and just make sure that when we are doing a unit, we know for sure. Um, when we start a renovation, hey, we just rented one a week ago like this. So there's there's an appetite for it in the market, but it's something that you don't want to be doing like, you know, go through your whole property and, hey, we're going to do like 20% right now in these like two or three months, and then you have no idea. Whereas a lot of people are just like, hey, just just renew me. And I know you got to raise the rent a little bit um, and that's fine. You know, keep them in there and do that. And then people move out and maybe some of them you renovate fully and some of them you're just cleaning and painting and, you know, for a thousand bucks and you put them back on the market for an extra 25, 50 bucks a month. And I think that's kind of where we are and knowing what that, what that, um, you know, what the, the best, the equilibrium there is of what you're, of what you can do and what you can't. And I, I would rather provide back to investors a report that says, um, you know, we're at, we're 95, 97% occupied with these collections. And, uh, you know, we're still able to raise rents if we wanted to on these units, $160, but we haven't, you know, and um, you're not going to get pushback from investors on that. I mean, you're running the property correctly. I think the problem is people get in and they really, you really start, because uh, the problem is if you're renovating units, you can't get the top price and you have to cut that back a little bit to rent it. Well, now you're not getting that return. And you're like, oh, we were going to get our money back in 36 months, and now it's 60 months. Well, not the best of investment for you. It's probably better just to hold on and re-rent that property, um, get your money back in one year on just uh, doing some cleaning. So I think that's the big thing about it. And um, just, uh, just really vetting your tenants, new tenants coming in, and making sure property managers are really vetting them, even if that's cutting down on... Um, applications that are getting approved or applications in general. And that will be something that really solves your problem. And that's one of the pluses about having third-party management institution because there's not an emotional, they don't they don't really care about you paying your mortgage this month and you renting it out and getting some money and you know doing it. They care about putting good tenants in because they want to possibly get that renewal fee at the end of the year. So they're going to wait it out. And that's one thing you really have to do. And We've done that with a lot of our properties um, where we've just we've increased a little bit of what we're what we're asking for in the underwriting to make sure we're getting good tenants in there. And um, in the beginning, it's a little bit difficult because you're not filling as many units. But as it goes um, and years on the road, because a lot of problems you can you can rent to a problem tenant that won't be a problem tenant for seven or eight months. It's not like next month. It's an issue in most situations. It's usually like down the road. So what you're doing now isn't going to come out in the wash for another year. 
you know what I mean, in certain situations. So it's just important during these times, make sure that people are working, they have the income, um, doing your full background check and not skimping on any of that. And then I would just focus more on occupancy and collections with your tenants that are in there. And uh, I wouldn't worry as much about doing interior renovations to try to get an extra, you know, 125 bucks out of someone. That's great. That's great feedback. And, you know, it, it almost seems like in other words, it's like, hey, read the tea leaves and pump the brakes where necessary, but also up sort of your barriers to entry for folks, you know, who are looking to reside at your property so that you can say, look, this may be a, a challenging decision today to say, well, maybe we're going to have an occupancy hit if we raise our standards for new applicants. But in the long run, we're going to be in a much more favorable position. And as we navigate some continued uncertainty, because none of us can predict the future market, we can't predict where things are going to go. But as you start to feel, well, are the tides turning, then perhaps we can get a little bit more aggressive on renovations, perhaps we can get a little bit more aggressive on, you know, going back to the business plan and executing and, and really, you know, hitting the top of the market, so to speak. Are there any other components aside from occupancy and collections that have been, you know, integral for you to navigate successfully uh, market cycles and changing dynamics in the marketplace? Uh, if you're going in with any type of, you know, the best is to go into any type of downturn like this with uh, three, four years of, you know, fixed debt on what you got going on. Because if you're going in with really short-term debt, it's going to make you, that's going to make you do decisions that you probably otherwise wouldn't have done. And uh, I tell, always tell new investors, they always ask me, I'm like, just get fixed debt. You know what I mean? Just get fixed debt in your first deals, do minimal renovations on your first deals, if anything, because whatever you're doing, whatever you buy, there's going to be work required. So you're going to get that rent, you know, you're going to get that renovation experience, but you don't want major renovation experience. You want to really come in there and uh, not have too much of a project to take care of and really rent it. But the long, long-term debt gives you a lot of, gives you a lot of options. And in the sense of that, when you're renovating stuff and it gives you a lot of breathing room too. And so that's what I would say. That's great stuff. So let's talk about pivoting because, you know, I think any successful business owner investor has to continually pivot, right? You've got to continually look for feedback in the marketplace and say, look, this did not work. We had a failure, you know, failure is feedback. It's not fatal. Now it's an opportunity for us to change strategy, for us to adjust, for us to make adjustments as we move forward. So talk to me about some pivots that you're making today and maybe how your strategy is evolving as a result. I mean, before we started recording, you were talking about, hey, we're, we're navigating away from C properties. We're really focusing on B. But is there anything else that you would point to in terms of pivots that you've made uh focusing so yes definitely the c to b is a is a, definitely a pivot we've been making the second i would say is buying in markets that just aren't cash flow buying in markets that are actually growing and it's difficult you'll have a lot of people that i'll see from a new investors i'm tyler i imagine you have people that want to invest in property themselves actively and they'll tell you about this and you're looking and you're like well this probably isn't the best market for what you're doing and they're just looking at the cash flow right and cash flow is important, don't get me wrong, but the mix of cash flow and appreciation. And when you're in a down, down market, right, you don't want to be owning in a place where population job growth is stagnant or even declining. Um, during these times where people are moving, they're moving for jobs, they're moving where employers are, they're moving where uh, the climate is better, um, whether it's financially and also possibly where we're going on, this, people are going to the Sunbelt. So it's one of those things that if you're in these areas that are growing, that's where it's going to give you a buffer on what happens with your properties. Um, right now, I would much rather have our properties um, 
C-class property in uh, somewhere in Florida, Atlanta, um, something like this compared to having it maybe where I had them before in Connecticut. Not really growing, population is declining. There's not new, if any, uh, employers coming in. There's no new jobs. So it's something that that will weather the storm a lot better is where you're located and where people are actually going to go. So that's going to help you because you're going to now be able to pick from a lot more. You have a bigger potential tenant base and with more tenants to choose from, better tenants you you should be getting. So I would say, um, you know, focus on markets that are growing. And um, obviously the whole thing we we're talking about, the property class, that'd be one other one for sure. I would uh, I would really focus on doing it. And uh, if you, you know, always there's there's a there's a benefit to having long-term debt. And I'm not saying like you have to get you know, 25 year commercial loans or something like this, but if you're getting, you know, five years, just five years, 10 years, seven years, whatever you're, whatever you're getting from your bank gives you a lot more breathing room than getting 24 months or 36 months. The key word in everything you just said, in my opinion, is buffer. You need buffer. You need margin for error because there's a lot of things that you cannot anticipate, but you need some wind at your back, right? You need some components and there's things that you can, there's decisions that you can make to make sure that the wind is at your back. It's of course market, it's demographics, it's trends and so forth. Right. That's definitely true. Yeah. So one thing I'd love to know, you know, obviously investing in, in Florida as an example, and this is the case across the country for sure, but more so even in Florida. So talk to me about insurance. I mean, how are you guys handling insurance? And like, I mean, we're seeing just absolute paradigm shifts. And what I'm hearing is in, in some Florida markets, you're looking at 200% increases in some cases for renewals. So how are you guys handling that major bogey? Uh, so we haven't uh, we haven't purchased in Florida in probably a year and a half. And when we when we do purchase and when we're doing our performa, it's just something you have to get quotes from multiple insurance carriers. Um, and so your broker is usually going to bring you the best, but I also kind of want to see the other ones too. You know what I mean? And sees like, it's like when you're going out for renovation on a, on a, and there, you know, you have your own house and you get reno, you know, a contractors to come out and you're like, why is this 30? This guy's 32, this guy's 50, you know, like, well, let me tell me about this guy at 50. I'm not just going to throw this away. Like, why is this? And they might say, well, these materials are really what this cost is and stuff like this. And they're like, okay. You know, this still might be overpriced, but it's good to know that that these people are really shooting it low down here. So I think the same thing is with insurance is when you're doing out your numbers, um, insurance has just gotten crazy in Florida. And it's it's because of our obviously our weather situation. But the other thing, too, is that um, 70, I think it was 76 percent of all lawsuits against insurance companies uh, come from the state of Florida. So it's something that uh, we have tons of attorneys down here, too many attorneys, and uh, they're chasing too little dollars. So everybody and their mother gets sued uh, insurance companies for anything. Um, common maintenance is now you sue it and they have to repair it or some kind of thing happens. So that's the big thing that we have down here that hopefully gets fixed. But when you're underwriting for that, you have to really shoot high and you're going to lose a lot of deals. It's like just saying that um, if you're you know, somebody's sharpening their pencil and saying rents can go up 25 percent, you say they go up eight, you know. Uh, so who's going to have a more aggressive offer? You know what I mean? Who's going to get that deal? But in some situations, they might go for a uh, a buyer that doesn't have the highest offer, but has a that know that they can close. So I think that's something that you just have to stick to those numbers. And especially where we are now in the market cycle, um, as you were talking about before, you just really have to really focus on making sure that um, you're all your numbers are checking out, right? There's there's less unknowns going in and you're not, oh, the market's just going to fix itself or something like this. Well, 
people are still going to move to Florida. People are still going to move to the, the markets that you're in, Tyler. Uh, that's for sure. But we're not going to get those huge double-digit rent increases, um, especially not this year. Um, so it's something that when you're doing out your numbers, you just have to make sure that you're taking consideration all the different insurance because that low insurance quote you got from year one might actually end up being on your renewal what the high insurance quote was. So that's kind of what we want to see. And we're like, oh, well, we should still go up higher. And I was just talking to an investor that was buying down here, and he was telling me that their insurance came in 30% lower than what they thought Okay, when they were doing their numbers. And they must have shot it really high, but they're still keeping those numbers because they don't know on the renewal. And you know, it's usually a thing where it's just you, you – they go up high and then really they, you know, they're jumped in Florida and we've kind of seen it where it's kind of stayed like that. Um, it's just, they had a huge jump over the last year or so and people got hit in all different policies from if you owned a townhouse to owning a 200 unit complex, it was just everything. That's great stuff, Charles. And you know, it's not fun stuff to really talk about, but at the end of the day, it is a huge mover in terms of driving NOI, which ultimately is a driver in terms of cash flow and value and all these kind of things. So it's important to have your finger on the pulse and not have your head in the sand to say, well, where are things today? And we're in a very volatile insurance environment. As we move forward, hopefully things will continue, will start to stabilize to a larger degree. So we can start to anticipate, as we were talking about earlier, make accurate projections and navigate that as we move forward. Because to your point, whether, you know, a lot of the stuff is happening in Florida, you know, a lot has happened in Texas, a lot is happening across the country in terms of weather events, but the insurance carriers are going back and they're, they're readjusting how they're doing things in many different geographies. So it's important for investors across the country to realize how things are moving and so that they can make appropriate projections. But I wanna switch gears a little bit and talk about you and really how you're investing in yourself and how you're optimizing your perspective so that you can make make decisions in complex territories. So I'd love to know, you know, how does mindset play into your success? And as you're, you know, continuing to evaluate challenging circumstances and make quick decisions and work through, you know, building your investor base, building your portfolio, you know, how does mindset play a role in your success? Mindset's a big thing. And I mean, I, my goal this year is to read 20 books and I would say every other book I read is mindset. And it's just something that you have to consistently work on. And uh, it's difficult. Don't get me wrong. It's very difficult because it's not something that's, you don't see the needle being moved right then. Um, it's something down the road. So it's something that you're investing in yourself. But um, getting around like my individuals. So I'm part of two mentoring groups. Um, and it's something that uh, mastermind type groups. And it's, uh, you know, you can pass, you pass a lot of ideas in front of people and see how they respond. And that's pretty, that's, that's, it's really powerful because you have ideas of what you want to do, or you're having an issue or you're you, just anything. You can really learn from what other people are doing, see what they've done. Um, and then something that you think is a great idea. They're like, no, 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 we tried that. You know, you hear that from multiple people, Hey, we tried that and it doesn't work. And you're like, Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. And that's kind of why you're putting yourself around that. So kind of aligning yourself with, uh, with people, um, that are in the same journey you are possibly, you know, you'll have some people behind you and you'll have some people ahead of you, which is the best way of doing it. So you can assist people, um, and then people can assist you. And I feel it's the best way. And it's, it's very difficult to find those people because the majority of people, they aren't taking action or they don't have that same mentality that you do. So I would get around those people and, um, that assists with what you're doing. 
And I love the fact that in my opinion, in my belief, it my one of my core beliefs is that there's always another level. So no matter where you are, whether you're a beginner, highly sophisticated, highly successful, there's always another level to ascend to. And I think that's yeah. a component of living a fulfilled life is continuing to grow. And a lot of that's uncomfortable. But you know, one of the quotes that I'm super passionate about, and, and I really enjoy as well is I think it was Henry Ford, who said, whether you think you can, or whether you think you can't, yeah. you're right. And yeah. so it starts with what do we believe is possible? And perhaps that is what is pushing or propelling people into saying, or not saying, but doing or not doing, right? You were talking right. about a lack of behavior, a lack of action. And so, you know, from your vantage point, it sounds like you're really investing in yourself by reading these books, you know, that are sort of on the mindset trajectory or, or paradigm, as, as well as surrounding yourself with other people so that you can up level yourself so that you can become more like those who are where you want to be. But talk to me about, you know, are there any limiting beliefs or things that you've learned about yourself over the past few years that you're kind of working through and you're, you know, you're sort of overcoming to say, well, wait a minute, what, where did that come from? What story was I telling myself that was kind of holding me back? Are there any limiting beliefs that you've learned about yourself that you're working through? Uh, limiting beliefs, I, I mean, they're, I think they pop into everybody's head all the time, and it's difficult for people that um, are want to be high achievers or are high achievers, and um, it's something that you just kind of have to bring back to, and you kind of have to just settle yourself back and be like, you know, especially when you're around people that have done what you're trying to do, and sometimes you'll meet people, and let's just say you're less impressed than, uh, you know, what you thought you would. And then you're like, oh, wow, this is that really, you know, kind of fades a lot of your limited beliefs because you're like, if this guy can do it, you know what I mean? Or this woman can do it. I can do it. Um, and you see it sometimes. And then you meet some people and you're like, this person's like amazing. And how do I like follow on what they're doing? And how do I change my thought process to match with what they're doing? And I think it's just it's definitely limited beliefs, but it's also just um, just really uh, setting kind of setting a plan of where you want to go. Um, really, or where you want to just kind of a goal of where you want to go, and then kind of constructing a plan of how you're going to get there. And um, it's very difficult with, I mean, different from person to person, because if someone's starting and in investing in real estate now, it's gonna be a much different journey than if they started five years ago, right? Um, but it's also probably going to be a faster learning curve, right? Because you didn't have this crazy market that no matter what mistakes you made, somehow it was fixed. And that's kind of dangerous for anybody involved with that, especially if you're a passive investor and you don't really understand. So how do I look at deals now versus 2018, you know, uh, in a in one of these markets and know exactly what I should be looking at? And so um, that's just a couple of things. I think it's just really focusing on your mindset, focusing on um, following other people that are ahead of you. And then it's also great when you are able to share that knowledge with people that are behind you. A couple of interesting things that you just said there. So one of which is, you know, when you meet people who you you just put on this pedestal and you're like, man, they are just they they walk on water. Everything they touch is gold. It's like, man, they just can do no wrong. And you start to realize, well, they put their pants on the same way I do. And they have a lot of similar faults or maybe they have a lot of similar fears that I do. Or, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, it, it almost humanizes them. And it's like, oh, well, if they're doing this, then I can do this. And I, I love that. I love reading biographies and reading bi memoirs and surrounding yourself with people who are doing those things so that you can see that, so you can humanize that. And it can put it in the, the realm of, you know what, if that's possible for them, it gives me a reference point that it's possible for me too. And I think references are critically important. The other side of it is there's some limiting beliefs and there's some 
thoughts that we have that are fear-based that say, well, if you do this, then you may fail or there may be challenges, right? And some of that can be valuable, right? It's not like we don't need to just be positive thinkers to say, well, anything I can, I can, I can do this and I will do this and I will be successful. Let's listen to that voice and we'll say, well, where did that come from? You know, where did this belief come from that if I do this, I might fail and then this might happen and then this. It's like, does that come from a pension of reality or does that come from some other belief that came from some other place in my childhood or somewhere else that is not actually serving me? So is it serving me or is it limiting me? I think is a, is a critical question to ask ourselves as we're having this internal dialogue. But man, Charles, I want to, I love this conversation. This has been a lot of fun. Before we transition to the rapid fire section, I want to ask you, you know, you, you mentioning uh, investing in yourself by being a part of masterminds and things like that. But are there any other things, whether it's actually investing your own capital in yourself or your own time and attention that you think is really up leveling the way that you're thinking or the way that you're approaching your business or your life in general uh, to step up your, you know, your level of performance? Uh, just trying to surround yourself, even even if people are not in your industry, finding people that are high achievers or or their goal is to become a high achiever. And it's going to be, a, if they're true about that, it's going to be a much different friendship and relationship you have compared to other people. And you'll know what you're talking about. And you'll know that every time that you are you leave that conversation or you leave that person or those people, um, you're, you're a better person. You know what I mean? In the sense of like, mm -hmm. you're more motivated. Um, you're more, you've spoken to someone that's on the same page as where you are. Um, those are all powerful things. And uh, my wife and I, my wife's also an entrepreneur, and it's something that um, when we uh, meet with friends or we are out to dinner with friends, we really focus around people that are self-starters or self, um, people that are want more out of life and um, you know doing what it takes to educate themselves and invest in themselves and, and invest in their future. I totally agree. And this is something that I learned from the psychologist, uh, organizational psychologist, Dr. Ben Hardy. It's really what you're describing is individuals who are future focused. And I think if we can just focus on surrounding ourselves with other people who are future focused and perhaps are future focused in a different way that we are, that's okay. That can inspire us. And, you know, there is a big difference in people who are stagnant and not really thinking about the future. They're thinking about things that perhaps average people think about, and they're not really surrounding themselves with that type of thought process that you can, you know, subconsciously self-regulate yourself back to that type of position because it's a comfortable place to be. So I love that share. I really appreciate that. Charles, this has been really, really fun. I really appreciate you spending some time with me and riffing with me. But before I let you go, I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's all it's called the rare air questionnaire it's all about being uncommon and a lot of what we've talked about has been extremely uncommon today i'd love to point to or i'd love to ask you if you would point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read mm -hmm. over the past few years and and what those have been and why um i would say 80 20 principle which probably was five plus years ago um a fantastic book it's a fantastic book for anybody involved um I mean, it's great for people that are in numbers games of businesses where you're sorting through people um, or that have client bases or customers. It's a fantastic book. There's, I would say, Val Shall Prosper, which is a book I'm reading right now. It's very good. It's about, um, it's written by a rabbi about um, money principles and being successful, which a mentor gave to me. 
There was a, there's also a book, it's a short book. It's a Jim Rome book. It's called uh, like five pieces to the puzzle or something like that. And you can just find it if you put Jim Rome, five pieces or five puzzle, whatever it is into Amazon, but it's a fantastic read. And it's like a hundred pages. You can like read it uh, on a short flight. And it, it's obviously very, very similar to what a Tony Robbins would say, obviously, because Tony learned from Jim, but it was something that uh, a great read. And it really puts a lot of principles about what you're doing with your life, where you want to go and um, making those changes and really um, setting a course for what you're doing. I love that. And we're going to make this easy on the listeners because we're going to put links in the show notes as where the listeners can find those books. Uh, so thank you for those shares. But Charles, aside from what we've already talked about today, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? One of the things is that I set aside time to read every day. I set aside, um, I'm a big proponent of getting uh, things I don't like to do or don't want to do done in the morning uh, right away. And that really opens up when you're when you're getting things done out of the way that aren't your favorite. Uh, it leaves you when you're coming around uh, into the afternoon or whatever. You really have time to really work on you know, growing your business and, and doing stuff, um, growing yourself and growing your business. And uh, you become a lot more uh, just productive in that sense. So that's one thing too is um, I, I would tell people. I love that. I love that. Thank you for that share. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Charles? I love giving back to people. And I, I, I always say this, and it's it's one of the things that's really just um, – if their people are motivated or they've shown some sort of some sort of uh, kind of uh, progress towards reaching their goals, I love giving back to some people like that. So I'm working with someone right now who just like part time and they are a, an investor, mainly like a wholesaler, and they're getting into more of multifamily investing themselves like I had uh, decades ago. And just asking questions about doing stuff and someone that's, you know, obviously successful in what they're already doing, but just kind of adding on another layer. And that really then I'm not like you know, I'm not just like talking to the wind. It's really just something where you're, what you're telling them, they're actually, or there's a high probability that they're actually going to be doing it. You're not just wasting your time. Whereas with most people you talk to, it's it's just a waste of time because they're not going to like take any, they're not going to take any action on what you're saying. And it's, it's just not worth it. So it's just one of those things. And I understand now why coaches charge because it just <laughs> sorts out. Not that people need that money to, to make their car payment. It's really too... Uh, just to, to to not waste your time. They want to see something that, that progresses. So I completely agree, Charles. Well, Charles, this has been a lot of fun. I want to acknowledge you for really showing up and sharing your story today. And your story has been amazing over the past 17 years. And I'm excited to see where things go for you here over the next 17 years as a real estate investor, as an individual who is future focused in not only expanding your portfolio and your cash flow and all these beautiful things that we all love about real estate, but your horizons as an individual as well. So I just wanted to acknowledge you. I wanted to share my appreciation with you. Before I let you go, do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation? Uh, no, I mean, it just if uh, if anybody's interested in learning more about what we do, uh, so my company is Harborside Partners and harborsidepartners.com and uh, go to it. You can learn more. We have a guide on passive investing. And uh, if you're interested in learning more about active or passively investing, you'll reach out to us and uh, I'll get on a call with you or one of my other partners. And uh, we'd love to go through what we're doing and see if it matches with what you want to do. Absolutely. And we'll put a link in the show notes is where the listeners can find you, Charles, with Harborside Partners, investwithharborside.com. And of course, the listeners can also check you out on the Global Investors Podcast, right? So why don't you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about what that's all about? 
Yeah, so our podcast, uh, the podcast I do is called Global Investors Podcast, and it's right on our Harborside Partners page, so you'll find it right there, But uh, or any podcast player. But uh, what we do is I, I've been doing it since 2019, and uh, it is a interview-type format once a week. And then I also I do it what's called Strategy Saturday, where I have short bits that are 5 to 10 minutes on different parts of real estate. So different terms, different uh, strategies, different experiences. Um, so you might find a podcast on what prepaying penalties are explained, and you might find one on you know why we buy certain properties and why we don't buy other properties. Beautiful stuff, my friend. Well, you're doing great stuff there. And I just want to thank you again for being on the podcast, Charles. Until next time, appreciate you being here. Thanks a lot, Tyler. Elevate Nation, what a great conversation with Charles Carrillo. And I learned a lot from this conversation, not only from his story about really being in the trenches and learning hands-on, but then taking that experience and scaling it rather than just saying, you know what, I'm just going to continue to chip away linearly. He then went exponential. So I just want to encourage you to identify what are, what did you actually learn from today's conversation? What was it that really stood out to you? Was it the way that he's thinking about you know, pivoting and, and shifting his strategy or navigating market cycles or utilizing other people to partner with you at, on your journey? What was it that you learned? Was it something about insurance that helped you navigate that complex environment or helped you gain more awareness on the volatility in that side of the business? Because, you know, there's a lot of different components of this business. There's a lot of complexity. You know, what was it that you learned? What were your biggest distinctions? I want to encourage you to jot down your top one. Or if you want to get even further, if you want to be an A-plus student, it's two or three distinctions from today's episode. And I want to encourage you to not only jot those down and maybe just jot down your one aha, your one takeaway from this episode, have a discussion with someone else about that, whether it's your business partner, whether that's a colleague, whether that's somebody that you invest with and ask them, how are they handling certain things that really stood out to you that maybe you're concerned about, maybe uh, some things that you're excited about? You know, what was it that you learned about your own mindset, your own limiting beliefs, your own things that perhaps could be holding you back or could be protecting you and helping you make wise decisions as we navigate some challenges as we navigate a changing market environment, as we ch as we navigate a changing market cycle, I want to encourage you to identify those and really just reflect on that to say, all right, well, I'm not going to let this pass passively. I'm going to recognize this, that this is an opportunity for me to take a pivot, for me to make a change, for me to implement something new in my life, in my business. And I know that there's a tremendous amount of value in today's episode. So I want to encourage you to share this with a friend and pay it forward. Of course, that's that's the ask that we have for you as we continue to pour into your cup. The only thing we ask from you is for you to share this with someone else. The most important thing is to take massive action on what you learned. As you jot down those distinctions, as you have discussions, as you share, it's about implementation and it's about moving forward and seeing how it works for you. Course correct and continue to take massive action. Until next time, Elevate Nation, I just wanna thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.